Welcome to the Birth Prep Podcast. I'm Taylor, and I'm here to help you prepare your mind, body, and team to best support you during your birth experience. Today, I want to chat with you guys about opting in and out of the typical prenatal tests that we come across. I'm talking about, you know, testing for gestational diabetes, the routine blood work, group B strep. We're going to chat about some of the typical tests that are performed in just a second, how they do them, why they do them, etc. And then we're going to chat about how to make an informed decision when deciding you'd like to opt in or opt out of something. And we're going to talk about using your brain, which is an acronym, B-R-A-I-N. I'm going to teach you guys what that is today and how you can use it in order to make informed decisions. And then I'll give you guys some tips at the end for opting out, um, because I know sometimes that is difficult to do, especially with a pushy provider. So I'll give you guys some tips for that. So let's dive right in. We're going to start off by chatting about what's with all these tests, right? There's so many tests throughout your pregnancy. And each test during pregnancy serves a specific purpose. I'm going to share some of the typical ones. Um, But these tests require your consent. And you can opt out of any tests if you'd like. And as always, with any decision you make for yourself and for your baby, I strongly urge you to inform yourself, ask questions, understand the risks versus the benefits of all the options. Doing this is going to ensure that you're making an informed decision on this. If you're not making these decisions, somebody else is going to be making them for you. So if you're just agreeing to everything because it's just part of the thing, like, that's fine. I mean, tests tests don't really come with a lot of risks, but some of them do. And you might want to inform yourself on those before opting for them. Um, and after we chat about typical tests, uh, we'll go into a little bit more about how to make an informed decision because I think that that is so important and I think it's a valuable skill that you will carry well beyond this birth preparation journey. You will carry it right into your motherhood experience and hopefully use it for your baby with their pediatrician at their well visits. God forbid something bad happened and you have some serious medical decisions to make. You can use this skill in so many areas of your life moving forward. Gosh, you can even apply this to like choosing where they're going to school and it's so many, so many things. It's it's a good skill to have. <laughs> so one of the very first initial tests that you do is just blood work. Um, how they do this is a needle will be inserted into a vein, usually one in one of your arms, and blood will be drawn and collected to be tested for several different things like your blood type, your RH factor, um, RH negative. Uh, you will, it's um, suggested that you get a Rogam injection at 28 weeks, which is why they want this information. Um so that you can make an informed decision on if you're going to choose that Rogam injection or not, right? It gives us more information. Basically, tests throughout our pregnancy, all it's doing is we're learning more about ourselves, our bodies, our babies, etc., and our specific, you know, pregnancy journey. Every pregnancy is different. I've been tested for things in some pregnancies that I haven't been in others. I've opted for some tests, you know, when things have come up, when I've experienced uh, some you know, some symptoms that were maybe a little alarming, like, hey, we should keep an eye on this, um, stuff like that. So um, when the typical, uh, not typical, initial blood work is done is usually at your first appointment or it's ordered at the first appointment. Say like, hey, this is this is coming up soon. Here's the order. Take it to your lab kind of deal. Um, it doesn't always happen at your first appointment, but it should be expected pretty quickly. Um, next, we have a pap smear. This is, again, usually done pretty early, first or second appointment, but only if you're due. 
um, for a pap smear, like they'll offer it, you know, I, I don't know how often they get done to be honest with you, but how they do it is a lubed speculum is placed into the vaginal canal. Um, it's stretched to be able to view the cervix located at the back of your vagina. Your provider will insert a soft bristled brush. I put that in like quotations to collect the cells of the cervix to be tested for cervical cancer and various STDs. Personally, I have only had one pap smear. Um, I don't really opt for them much anymore. Personal decision. I've informed myself. I understand the risks and I'm assuming those do not make a decision just because Taylor made the same one. Okay. Um, I got to always throw that out there. I'm not a health, I'm not a medical professional, healthcare provider, blah, 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 all the things. Please inform yourself. (laughs) Um, But it was not painful in my experience. Um, uncomfortable at the most, but like you couldn't even really feel the bristles. Like, and somebody had told me that it was such a painful experience. And I think pain is subjective and every, and everybody's experience can be so different with the same experience, like with the same thing happening. Right. So just take that for what it's worth. My opinion and my experience. (laughs) Another test usually done pretty quickly, um, after pretty quickly, pretty early on in your prenatal journey is the dating scan ultrasound. So it's like the first ultrasound. It's like called a dating scan. And it's just to confirm the pregnancy and to confirm or estimate your estimated due date. Um, Your gestational age starts from the first day of your last menstrual period. If you don't have this information or you want to confirm, this ultrasound will give you like a decent estimate based on your baby's development. Um, This ultrasound may be performed vaginally or externally on your belly, like normal ultrasounds, like most of them towards the end of your, you know, when you get bigger, that anatomy scan, um, the growth scans towards the end etc. And usually vaginal is required to see things like before eight weeks. So if you are earlier than eight weeks, just expect a vaginal. <laughs> Go prepared for vaginal penetration. Um, I uh, didn't know that was a thing. I didn't get a vaginal ultrasound with my first baby and I went in for an ultrasound with my second baby and they're like, oh, it's her second. She's not, she didn't even be told about this. I had no clue. I had no clue. I mean, I always go prepared, but you know. <laughs> A dating scan is typically performed four to 12 weeks. Um, Around eight weeks is when it's typically done, but it can be done depending on when you join your practice. If you've been trying to conceive for a while, you know, you're high risk. We need more ultrasounds. We need them earlier, whatever the case may be. Um, And or whenever, like whenever you would need to figure out an estimated due date. So say you just found out you were pregnant and you have no clue. You might be 22 weeks along. We don't know that until we have that dating scan ultrasound. So it can be performed whenever, um, but typically it's done before 12 weeks during that first trimester. Usually around 26 to 28 weeks gestation, um, sooner if uh, gestational diabetes is suspected, but gestational diabetes, we do a test for that um, and to diagnose gestational diabetes an oral glucose tolerance test is performed. And that's the test that I'm talking about. I just always call it gestational diabetes test, (laughs) but most people call it that. So, but it's actually called an oral glucose tolerance test. And that is performed around 26 to 28 weeks. This typically looks like so many different ways that people do this and the labs do it all differently. But typically this looks like fasting for eight to 12 hours, consuming 50 grams of sugar via food and or beverage. Most providers will offer... Glucola, which is like a branded um, drink that most of the labs use, Um, but there are so many options though. Um, And your blood is drawn after one hour to see how your body is consuming said glucose and you may have 
uh, an additional draw after two hours or three hours have passed as well. Um, usually if you fail the first one, they'll send you for a three-hour test. Some people do three-hour tests straight out of the gate. If you are more at risk, say you had it last pregnancy, they want to do it that longer test right from the start. There's, you know, this is just the typical way they do things. So it's not necessarily the way that your provider will go about offering the test to you. Again, you get to decide to opt in or out of this test. Um, we usually have, oh, we usually have the anatomy scan before that, right? Anatomy scan, ultrasound. This is the second ultrasound that is done in a typical prenatal care journey. Um, it's called the anatomy scan. This is literally the ultrasound that identifies and measures all of baby's growing parts, making sure all their vital organs are whole and functioning. Um, and this is usually when we find out baby's gender, if that is your desire to do so. Um, this ultrasound is usually pretty lengthy compared to the other ones, at least. Um, I've personally sat for about 45 minutes to an hour for each of mine. And as always, if at any point you get uncomfortable, you need a break, you want to stop altogether, like speak up, say something, you can withdraw your consent at any point in time or say, hey, I'm not comfortable doing this today or, you know, this is too long at once, whatever you want to do, that's up to you. Um, and then parts of the anatomy scan are easier when you have a full bladder. So you usually come in with a full bladder. Your provider usually gets those images first so that you can take a bathroom break before the rest because it is a lengthy ultrasound. Um, this is typically performed between 18 and 22 weeks, and it's usually repeated if all the measurements are not obtainable the first time. Again, if you're opting for this test. Another test that's typically performed during your pregnancy journey is group beta strep test. Um, this is performed around the 34 to 36 week mark. We're on the, you know, we're getting to the end, the final countdown. And this is performed when you or your provider will collect a swab, you know, swab your downstairs from in and around your vaginal opening and around your anus in that order, of course, <laughs> which in, is then tested for group beta strep. If you test positive, you're given the option to receive antibiotics during your labor. That is the recommended uh, treatment plan is a round of antibiotics once your waters break or early on in your laboring experience. And then a, an additional dosage towards the end of that laboring experience right before a baby comes. Again, the test is something that you have to consent to and so is the treatment plan. And then finally, we're going to chat about the growth scan ultrasound. This is usually the last ultrasound that is done in a typical prenatal care journey. And honestly, this is one I tend to opt out of a lot of the time. Um, I had like, it wasn't called a growth scan. I don't remember what it was called. It's one I've never been offered before because I have never gone as late as I did last time. I was 41 weeks and some change and they're like, oh, let's check on baby just to make sure, you know, baby's doing great. And she passed with flying colors. It was like, cool, let's, let's stay pregnant. We love that. Um, moving on. But I didn't want them to tell me, oh, she's she's looking so bit like I didn't want any weight estimate. I told them that I was like, I don't need anything that's going to mess with my mindset. So don't tell me any information. And so I opted for the scan, but opted out of knowing that information. Just send it all to my doctor. She's not going to say a word to me. She knows I don't want to know that stuff. <laughs> and the end. Um, not my doctor, my midwife. I just call her doctor sometimes. <laughs> Such a word we throw around. Um. Anyways, back to this growth scan ultrasound. You didn't even ask for that, but you know, you get what you get around here. <clears throat> this is this ultrasound is to check on baby size. 
um, usually your amniotic fluid levels, baby's position, etc. Just making sure baby's good and ready to go for birth. Um, baby's weight estimate is just an estimate, okay? It can be wrong by up to two pounds. And if your provider is offering an induction based on baby's weight, be very leery. Just my personal um, experience and obviously working with so many mothers at this point, um, be leery. This is a common manipulation tactic, especially if they're giving you the risks for birthing a baby that's too big, um, quote, in quotes, you know, too big, your baby's too big, and not giving you the risks of the induction methods they're offering. Um, that's a red flag. Wee -wee. And you deserve informed consent. <laughs> so make sure you're asking lots of questions. Um, what happens if we watch and wait? What happens if I choose this? What happens, like, what are my other options? Blah, blah, blah. All the questions. Y'all know. Um, I, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm just very passionate about, like, helping my clients protect their mindset. And this ultrasound can bring a lot of unnecessary fear. And it can also bring... You know, it can also bring peace of mind, though, to know that your baby's doing fine and positioned correctly, etc. So you have to weigh the pros and cons of this one and make the decision that you feel best about, right? So, like, for me, I know knowing my baby's weight could potentially give me, like, a, oh, man, that's a big baby. She's she's going to be big and I can't do it. Um, that's been – and it's – and really, I think what it comes down to is I've been manipulated before by my baby's weight. Somebody told me – my doctor told me – with my second baby that he was going to be well over 10 pounds and that I needed to have a C-section and we needed to schedule it. We needed to put it on the schedule. And by the end of that conversation, she had convinced me to do an induction. And that was the smallest baby I've had to date. And, um, my induction created some complications that I don't think would have happened had I waited for my body. Um, but I was manipulated and I was lied to and I was coerced. She went on, she was going on vacation. I found that out afterwards and that was, I, I probably have a little bit of, um, on heel trauma from that. So I'm like, Oh, this is just one I like to skip, you know, but I know that about me and I know that it would be bad for me to have that information and for me to, to, you know, uh, have to process that. And like, I just would rather not, like, I don't need that information. It's not important to me. I don't care how bad my baby is. I have the belief that my body can birth it. So I don't even need that. <laughs> but this, um, this ultrasound is typically performed, during the 36 to 38 week, uh, mark or whenever you need to monitor your baby's growth and or position. Um, and that is, that wraps up like the typical test. I know there's so many other tests that could possibly be performed. If I covered them all, we'd be here all day, but those are the typical ones that most women are going to be offered during their prenatal journey, whether you're with a midwife or with an OBGYN, whatever, it looks pretty much the same. Next, I want to chat with you guys a little bit about how to make an informed decision for these things. Um, with most of these tests, there aren't a, there aren't like these huge risks, right? But they do come with risks or cons, if you'd rather call them that. Um, and like side effects, whatever. There's not a ton of that like medical risk there, but there are other things, right? Like sitting for a three to four hour glucose test might not be in the cards. There's alternatives, right? Maybe you prick your finger every day and test your blood sugars four times every day for a few weeks to see how your body's doing. Um, that is an option, right? So learning about all the options that are available and making a decision that you feel is best, I think is really important because it doesn't have to look 
the way it looks for everybody else. There are usually multiple options for every single decision that you get to make surrounding your prenatal journey, surrounding your birth experience, surrounding your postpartum journey as well. Um, So I want you guys to be aware of how to make an informed decision. So here's the informed decision making process that I teach my students inside the birth prep course. And obviously, this is like the super cliff notes version. Okay, are you ready? Number one, we're going to figure out all the options available for each decision. Number two, we're going to compile the risks and benefits or pros and cons, if you'd rather, for each option. Number three, we're going to weigh those risks and benefits or pros and cons, applying them to your specific situation through your moral compass, with your desired birth experience in mind, all the things, you know. And then number four, you're going to make the decision that you feel is best. And then number five, bonus, you're going to celebrate the fact that by doing steps one through four, you now have everything you need, everything you need (laughs) to make a new choice in the moment if the plan doesn't go accordingly. Um, So cheers for peace of mind, right? That's like such an awesome thing, right? We have everything we need. If we decide, hey, I don't want to opt for the gestational diabetes test, but if at any point you decide, hey, I'm feeling kind of kind of a little weird, like I don't feel right and maybe I need to go for additional blood testing or maybe I am going to opt for that test and see if it's something that's going on with my body, um, you have everything you need to make that decision later, right? You have everything you need to know um, to make that. And I love that. That's like one of the best benefits of doing this work. It's like, yeah, you got your decision handled. But if you have to remake the decision at any point in time, whether you changed your mind or whether something came up or the original decision is just off the table for whatever reason, you have everything you need. And that's priceless, man. So kudos for doing this work. Another thing I teach my students inside the birth prep course is the brain method. Um, I'm like, use your brains, guys. Come on. Uh, But it's an acronym. And the B stands for what are the benefits, R, what are the risks, A, what are the alternatives, I, what does my intuition say, and N, what if I do nothing or nothing yet? Um, and that is an incredible tool to have in your pocket for so many things. <laughs> it gives you it gives you five questions right off the bat anytime you're you're given a decision to make, you can ask five questions right off the bat, five really good questions that are going to give you so much information. And if you can get the information from them, if they'll sit there and inform you on the benefits, the risks, the alternatives. And then you can ask yourself, well, what does my intuition say about this? And then, hey, doc, what if I do nothing right now? What if I just watch and wait? Like, what is that? That's definitely an option. Like, what if I do nothing? Like, what happens at that point? Tell me. Um, and then we, when would we revisit this? Right. So it kind of gives you a lot of questions to start asking right away as soon as you're faced with a decision to make. And you guys can always say, Hey, I'm not ready to make this decision yet. Or, Hey, I'm going to need more information before making this decision. You guys never have to make a decision in the moment unless it's calling for an immediate decision. And at that point, I hope you have everything you need to make that decision. And or at least somebody on your team ready to inform you as much as possible and as much, you know, as fast as possible in order for you to make a somewhat informed decision. I'll tell you my personal um, view on tests at the very least. I, I opt for most tests because I think it's information that I need if I were to make a different decision in the moment, right? So if I say I have group B strep, And I just, I have that information now, right? It's a swab. There's not very many risks with that. I opted for the test. 
but I'm, I'm not going to opt for the antibiotics during my labor experience. That's not something I plan on opting for. But what if I decide to do so at any point? What if I get more information between the tests and the end of my pregnancy? I'm like, oh, you know what? I do want to do that. But now I don't even know if I have it. So now I either have to go get the test. Is there even enough time? We have to wait for the lab to process it. And then what if my baby comes before it's back? Blah, blah, blah. Like, right. We don't want that kind of, um, situation happening. I don't want that kind of panic for myself. Um, and at this point I'm pretty strong in my decisions and like what's going on and stuff. But in the past, I've always opted for most tests because I think it's good information to have. Um, now again, I'm pretty, uh, pretty concrete in most of my decisions. I'm pretty, um, well-versed in the information and there's not much information that's going to pop up that I'm going to be like, oh yeah, that's going to totally change my mind on this thing that I already know a lot about. Um, it would probably be a very rare occurrence at this point, but maybe not for the first time, mom. You never know. You might not know what you want to decide about a certain thing yet. So you you might want to opt for the test and get that information so you have that information so that you can make an informed decision on the treatment plan or lack or, you know, or you're choosing not to do that. I was going to say lack thereof. You choose to do nothing, right? That's totally an option. That's what I do most of the time. <laughs> um, but this is something that you're going to have to do. And I think that I just wanted to throw that out there because that's how I've usually done things in the past. And that might be helpful for you um, when the risk is so small for tests like doing a blood draw or doing a swab, like that kind of stuff. Um, that kind of stuff I have no problem saying yes to personally. And it gives me information that could be potentially good information to have down the line. Um, again, take that or leave that for what it's worth. This just some two cents thrown out there for you. But now let's get to the good stuff, opting out of tests, because opting into tests is pretty easy. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go. But opting out um, can sometimes be a little more challenging um, because doctors are like, well, wait, wait, you're going against the status quo. This is how we always do things. It's policy, blah, blah, blah. I just want to tell you right now, every single test is optional. It is your choice to accept or decline. Not your doctors, not your mamas, not your husbands, not your mother-in-laws, not the nurse, not nobody. is your choice, honey. Your choice. One of my biggest um, tips, <laughs> I have a few tips. Um, one, you don't have to provide a reason, but I would just be very honest and very direct. Clearly express your decision not like, well, I don't think this is something we want to do. It's like, I will not be opting in for this test. I do not consent. I do not give permission. I do not want this test. I don't want it mentioned again. You can do what, how, you, however far you want to go with it, girl, however you want to word it, all the things. Um, I would just be very straight and direct and honest. Um, thank you for recommending the test. But after considering the information you've provided and the information I've gathered myself, um, I've decided not to proceed with it at this time. If I change my mind, I will let you know. Or feel free to revisit it at our next appointment. I'm going to go get more information, whatever. However you want to go about it. Be honest with where you're standing, okay? If you are presented with a question, be like, hey, I don't have enough information to make this decision yet. So I will not be making this decision yet. <laughs> Just be very honest and direct. I feel like that's like honesty is the best policy, right? It's such such a cliche, but um, it's true. It's true. It is the best policy. Um, and that's honestly one of like the biggest tip I have. Um, another way to like, you know, we want to we want to keep this relationship good. We don't want to um, 
we also don't want to step on eggshells either but like expressing gratitude i think is nice to do um acknowledging like hey this is this was your recommendation like i you know i appreciate the concern and i appreciate the recommendation whatever i have decided to decline at this time thank you for understanding and supporting me throughout this decision um I know it's not the typical way you like to do things, but I appreciate your support, right? Like we're kind of like setting the tone kind of and also showing gratitude at the same time. Um, I think that's really great to do. If you want to provide a reason, you're allowed to do that, but it's but you're not obligated to. You don't have to justify your decision. You don't have to offer any information, but you can offer a brief explanation if you feel comfortable doing that. Like with my provider, I'm like, Listen, I'm not opting for that. Here's why. I I don't agree with that at all. I think that's the dumbest test that's ever performed, blah, 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 like whatever. Like I would have no problem having that conversation with my provider because we're like friends and um, obviously still the provider patient like partnership thing. But I feel comfortable sharing my views with her and I know I'm not going to be judged, um, but that's not the case for every provider. But you do not have to provide a reason. You are allowed to just say no. No is a total and complete full sentence. Um, And then if needed, make sure you're asserting your autonomy. Emphasize your right to make decisions about your own health care. Like, hey, I understand the importance of the test, but ultimately, I feel it's my decision. And I've chosen not to proceed. Conversation over kind of deal. Like, per my last email, (laughs) shut up. Um... And then if you need to ask questions, like if you're unsure about how declining the test um, affects like the situation, whatever, or maybe you want more information, don't hesitate to ask your provider questions. Say, hey, can you clarify this for me? Hey, I have this concern. What does this mean? Is something bad going to happen if I decline? Like what what's going on here? You can do that. Um, Again, you're allowed to decline anything. Usually nothing bad happens. Some providers might make a stink, but at the end of the day... You're the paying customer. Fired. Bye. If it comes down to it, right? Um. Yeah. So those are my those are my tips for you. And if you need to, if at any time circumstances change, you reconsider your decision. Remember that you can always revisit the option of undergoing the test at a later time. You can always give consent again. Um. Some things are time sensitive, and that's fair. But for the most part, if you opted out. You can always opt in later if you decide to do that. So you don't have to be married to your decision. (laughs) That's really cool and nice. Um, And another one last tip, follow up with documentation if you think it's needed. After declining a test, consider documenting your decision. Um, Having like say, hey, will you document this in my medical records to make sure, you know, everything is clear. (laughs) Everything's being communicated with the entire team, not just like, hey, um, you know, we ought, we said, we told the doctor, hey, we don't want this during our birth. And then the nurse didn't get the memo or whatever the case may be. Uh, you want to just make sure everybody's on the same page. So feel free to follow that conversation up with some documentation. Um, and as always, one more, one more, one more tip. I'm just keep adding tips. I'm like, the, more, the longer I talk, the more I think about things. Um, obviously, I did talk a little bit about this, but like wanting to maintain that relationship with them when we still have to have a baby right this person's helping us we want to make sure that it's a decent interaction um so we want to stay polite but i do want you to stay very firm as well try to do both stay firm and polite at the same time easier said than done i understand but try to remain firm in your decision um while maintaining a polite and respectful tone it's not that difficult 
and then avoid becoming defensive, confrontational, um, even if the healthcare provider disagrees with your choice. Like, just be like, hey, I'm, I'm not willing to have this conversation with you. Or, hey, I think, I think we need to part ways. This is clearly not something you're comfortable with treating a patient that's declined this test, whatever. Um, and if you need to, another, another bonus tip for you. Last one, I promise. <laughs> have somebody there to advocate for you. Okay, whether it's your husband, your partner, whatever, um, your sister, maybe you bring your doula, whoever, mom, mother-in-law, anybody that's that can stick up for you, because it's hard to face a provider in the eyes. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm gonna, I've gone with people to advocate for them, and I think it can be really scary. Gosh, even I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm getting heated. Like my, I need to keep it cool. I need to stay, stay firm and polite, stay firm and polite, you know, like talking to myself, but like, then my, like my heart starts going. It's like, it gets a little heated and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like a fight. And I don't want to fight this person. And like, it can be really hard. And I wasn't even doing it for myself. Right. Um, so doing it for yourself can be really difficult and I don't want to minimize that. So if you need somebody, bring somebody. Okay. Um, and that's it. That was a lot. So we went over all the typical tests. Hey, I'm going to put um, a freebie inside the show notes for you guys. It's called the What to Expect Prenatal Guide. It covers all the tests that I just covered today. It also talks about um, all of like what to expect during a during a typical prenatal experience, like what you'd expect at a, um appointment, how long or not how long, like when the typical appointments are, like how often you go, I guess, during your prenatal experience. Um the different things that they do at your appointment, what they are, how they do them kind of deal. You can always opt out of those if you'd like as well. Um, so all that information is in there for you guys as long as well as like some tips on like how to like a step-by-step, like how to inform yourself kind of deal. So all that's in there for you. I'll link that in the show notes. And what else do I want to tell you guys about the birth prep course? I'll link that as well. If you guys want to take your birth preparation to the next level, and create your desired result. You guys are more than capable. I so believe in you. I've done it for myself. You can do it too. I, I'm not special. Um, so everything that I did for myself that took me from traumatized, sad little girl laying in the hospital bed on my first day of motherhood, just feeling so defeated to this like warrior princess who pushed a baby out in her living room twice now with no pain meds and who literally can't wait to do it again because it was so enjoyable. I'm not saying that that's your desired result. But I created that result for myself and I walk you guys through the process that you can create whatever result you want. And that is the whole purpose of the birth prep course. So if you want that, check out the show notes. There's more information there. And if you have any questions, feel free to DM me on Instagram or pop them inside the birth prep lounge. You guys can drop your birth prep questions in the birth prep lounge every single week. I answer questions live on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And there's a replay, so you can submit your questions in there right now today. It's already up. The thread's up there. You guys can um, pop your questions in, and then next week you can listen to the replay, or you can join me on Friday. You can ask questions live while I'm hanging out with you guys. Um, it's always an option, so I'd love to have you guys in there. I'll link that as well. Lots of links today. Don't get overwhelmed. <laughs> um, I just want to be a resource to you guys. I tried to be who I wanted and needed. Gosh, this is a tongue twister. Wanted and needed when I was in your shoes. And I desperately needed somebody like me. And I did want somebody like me. I just didn't know how bad I wanted it. (laughs) Um, So I try to be that for you guys. And it's an honor to be a part of your preparation journey. Um, So 
we'll end it here. Thank you guys for hanging out with me today. I hope this was a useful episode. If you want to drop your takeaways in the birth prep lounge, I'd love to hear them. Um, check your emails. The birth prep newsletter went out yesterday. Um, I took a little while off because I've been having crazy personal life, but I'm back at it. So every Monday, you guys are going to get your weekly dose of all things birth prep delivered straight to your inbox. And I'll also give you guys, you know, updates on the podcast and things like that. Reminders for birth prep power hour, all the things. So I, it's an honor to be in your inbox. I don't know. There's like 24,000 of y'all now. That is crazy to me. Um, it's super cool and it's, it, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's crazy that I can send out an email to that many people at the click of a button. It blows my mind every time I do it and I don't take it lightly. It's an honor. So thank you guys. I'll chat with you again soon. As always, happy prepping.